I call her the first lady of the prophetic. And so, the, you know, the, the prophetic's been around, obviously, since uh, prophets, you know, back in the Old Testament. But what I love about Patricia is that she really equips you in the prophetic. You know, it's one thing to tell people what to do. It's another thing to teach them how to do it. And so back in the early 2000s, she really led with excellence in a media ministry. And it seemed like a lot of Christian TV was really cheesy and embarrassing to watch. But Patricia was like, thank you. Thank you for doing it right for us. And so, yeah, and so she is a, she's just a mentor. She cannot help but encourage you if she's around you. So we were at lunch, and one of the other speakers, Matt Tommy, was sharing about how God's called him to raise up a Christian artist. And Patricia interrupts, and she says, oh, are you uh, building up a prototype to take the nations? And I was like, what? what? <laughs> that's, that's just what she saw over him. And I had lunch with Matt, and Matt's like, actually, God told me about that years ago. He's like, I put it on the shelf, and she just unlocked it when she said that. So... Just getting around her, you just get an upgrade. You're like, I think I need to dream bigger. I think God's bigger than I thought. And so I think you guys will catch some of that in our hearts. So let's give a Columbus welcome to the first lady of the prophetic, Patricia King. Take your time. You got all the time. Thank you so much. Wow. What a blessing it is to be in this house this morning with you and worshiping with such a, you know, a house filled with true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. You guys are amazing. And it was an absolute blessing to be in the event this weekend, Wealth with God. What an amazing topic, especially for this hour. And I do want to carry on a little bit from that to give the house something special in God this morning that I I uh, feel it is definitely on his heart, but I want to give away a couple of things first. We only have um, a few things left on the resource table back there, but this is um, a book of decrees, and it is decrees of the word of God. The word does not return void. It accomplishes everything that it is sent to do, and the best way to prophesy is to proclaim and decree the word of God. Amen? So in this book, um, there are um, areas of decrees for almost every area of your life, and you can use that as a devotional tool, an intercessory tool. It's just a beautiful um, a compilation of decrees of the Word of God for your life. We've had people um, uh, decree this over their children who were you know, in really dark places, in drugs, in prison, and that they decree the word over them, and they return because the word goes out and gets them. Amen? And then this is one of our uh, newest book, The Power of the Decree, and it uh, speaks about uh, what a decree is. It'll teach you how to create a decree, how to release decrees, and it has devotions in the back on decrees for areas of your life as well. So Marcel, if you could give these away to whoever the Lord leads you. Marcel is my assistant, and she's such a blessing. But this morning, I just loved um, as we went into the blessing song this morning, because when we were uh, getting ready and, and just turning our hearts toward God in our hotel room, we just both, Marcel and I, felt prompted at the same time 
to soak in the blessing song. And so we had had it playing in our, in our hotel room over and over. And then we came here, and there it was. And my message is on the blessing of God. And it's on actually a specific anointing that you can receive from the Lord this morning, a mandate, an assignment that you can receive from the Lord this morning um, to be a benefactor. And it is time for benefactors to arise. And in John 10.10, Jesus said um, that the thief, he'll, he'll come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he said, I came that you would have life and life in its abundance. And we see in Philippians 4.19 also that we are promised that God will meet all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I love that scripture. I love it so much, and I believe it so much that when we run out of needs, we create them so that God can meet them. You know, it's like he will meet the needs. You know, when we were um, over in Cambodia doing a lot of groundworking uh, uh, work there, when we had finished building one children's home or one project um, and we didn't have any more needs in that area, we would create another need. We would build another home. We would build another business. We would do whatever because we knew that God would, would, would meet that need. And also in Isaiah 60, we see that um, in a time of darkness, gross darkness that is in the earth, deep darkness of people, that the glory of the Lord, which is his wealth and his goodness, his copiousness, his abundance, his splendor and his majesty, all of that is going to appear upon the people of God. And nations and kings will be drawn uh, to that. So we see that and in Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 to 9, talks about how the latter glory of the house will be greater than the former, but it is in the context of gold and silver. And so it's very interesting um, to see. And I just want to prophesy that in this season, even though the world would say, you know, things are spiraling down somewhat on the economic level, it's not so in the kingdom. It'll never be that way in the kingdom, never, right? But in this hour, God is marking those who will steward great wealth. And if you want to, you know, respond to that call like Isaiah did, just say, send me, <laughs> okay? And he, he, he will hear the cry of your heart. But God's looking for those he can trust as benefactors. And when God appoints, he anoints and he provides. So a benefactor is one who confers a benefit on another person. It's a person usually known to be giving money or help to a person or to a cause. And we see, of course, Abraham very clearly was uh, named by God as a benefactor. In Genesis 12, 2, he said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. The reason why we are blessed is so that we can bless. That is, that is the, 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 the greatest river that can flow from you is to give forth what you receive as blessing from God. And we've already received everything from him, right? So we have a lot to give the world that we live in. And Jesus um, was spoken of in Acts 10.38 as one who, who gave, as one who did good, as one who benefited others. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power 
dunamis power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We see in Ephesians 1.3 that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is so important for you to know the truth about who you are in Jesus and what you have in Jesus. You don't have to be beggars pleading for him to release a blessing to you. You are blessed. You are now blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He released it to you 2,000 years ago. It's just that most of us haven't positioned ourselves to receive. It's already there. We need to believe and receive. In 2 Peter 1, 2-4, it says that grace and peace has been multiplied unto us in the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we know what Jesus has given to us. And it says that he's given what? Everything. Everything that pertains to life and to godliness. And he's given to us all his precious, great, exceeding promises so that we'll partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. When you live in the blessing of God, when you live in what God has given you, when you remember who you are and what you have, you won't be given to the junk that's out there in the world or the carnal nature of man because you'll remember who you are. You are blessed in Jesus Christ. And wealth is something that we really do want to um, contend for, and I hope you are. I hope you're not being afraid of laying hold of wealth. Many people are. They're, they're thinking, well, I don't know. Maybe God doesn't want me wealthy. But the thing about wealth, it's definitely not all about money. In fact, hardly any of it is about money because money is an earthly currency. You won't find it in heaven. But when you are living in the spirit of wealth, you will have lots of everything, including money. You will have enough. You will have an overflow. And every Christian should contend for in the same way that we contend for salvation, in the same way that we, we contend for healing or deliverance, freedom, we should contend for the promises of God. And when I say contend, I mean put our faith out there and battle every bit of unbelief that comes against it so that we can lay hold of what God has promised. And when we have, when we hold the wealth, when you hold wealth, you hold power. The people in the world system that are the most wealthiest in the world system, they hold the most power and influence in the world. And we just can't sit back and let that happen. We, you know, we can't just sit back and say, oh, well, the um, sex traffickers, you know, that whole industry is billions of dollars every year, but, you know, it's just the way it is. I guess they get wealthy on that stuff. Or drug cartels, the drug, you know, illegal drug industry, billions of dollars every single year. We can't, let you know, just sit back and say, oh, well, it's just the way it is. They're all getting wealthy and rich on that stuff. I guess we just will we'll let it happen. We need to take a stand and say, no. All wealth belongs to him. And if it belongs to him, it belongs to me. Whatever belongs to him belongs to you. And we have to begin to really contend for our identity in Christ that shows us who we really are. We are sons. We are daughters of the Most High. We are covenant children who have access to all that we need to fulfill God's plans in this earth. And that means all, 
right? That means all, everything that we need to have that overflow and to be a blessing to others. And so we know that wealth attracts wealth. When you, um, when you look at a wealthy person, they, um, they actually don't need more wealth. They, they, they have more, more than enough, you know? They have their needs met, they're overflowing. They don't need more wealth, but they get more wealth. Why? Because wealth is a realm that they carved out. And whatever realm you carve out, that's what realm you will attract. So wealth attracts more wealth. It's really interesting that um, wealthy people don't even pay for hardly anything. They get everything given. Like they could go to a really big event, let's say that's um, $50,000 per seat. But if they're really wealthy and people of influence in that wealth, they're up for the seat. They don't have to pay for it. They don't have to pay the registration into the meeting. They just get there and they get the front seats. Why? Because it's the nature of the law of attraction. Wealth attracts wealth. And it's like a magnet. You just get more and more. Once you hit the realm, it comes to you. You don't have to even look for it. You don't have to seek it. It just comes to you. So when we realize that we are wealthy in Jesus. We have all the riches of his glory have been granted to us. Every promise has been given to us. And we start to identify with the truth of who we are according to the word. We'll begin to attract that to ourselves without even any effort. It's just a matter of being. Now Solomon was the richest man on the earth in his day. And he did not need more wealth. He was already, the, he, he had so many camels, you could hardly count them, right? He had gold, he had silver, he had spices, he had, you know, uh, fragrant oils, timber, all of that. He had a, he didn't need any more, but when, Bash, when, when um, the Queen of Sheba came to him, what did she bring? She brought more camels. Oh my goodness, how many camels can you handle? And it's not the point if he needed camels. He did not need more camels. But camels came to him because wealth attracts wealth. She brought gold. He didn't need more gold. He didn't need it. You could have thought, well, you know, she should have come and given it to the poor. But the thing is, wealth attracts wealth. And so when you position yourself in the truth and identify with who you really are in God, you're not a little pauper. You're not a little, you know, slave girl or slave boy. That's not who you are. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High God who has been given everything that belongs to your Heavenly Father. It's all been given. All the spiritual blessings blessings in the heavenly places are yours. Everything that pertains to life and to godliness is yours. I remember years ago, we were doing a cross Canada tour and uh, we were on Vancouver Island starting the tour and my husband was driving the van and it was a beautiful day and the ocean was, you know, outside the window that I could look at. I rolled down the window and I was just praising God. I said, oh Lord, this island is beautiful. The ocean's beautiful. The trees are beautiful. The flowers are beautiful. The grass is beautiful. Everything's beautiful and it's all yours, Lord. I worship you. It's all yours. This island belongs to you. And he spoke to me, he says, yeah, and it belongs to you, too. He said, whatever belongs to me, belongs to you. And all of a sudden, the light turned on on the inside. I thought, well, you cannot steward something if you don't know that you own it. 
And a lot of times we're not stewarding the universe. We're not stewarding the nations of the world because we don't believe that we own them. But Psalm 24 says, all the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it and all that dwell therein, all it contains, it all belongs to the Lord. And if it belongs to him, it belongs to you. It belongs to me. It belongs to everyone who is called by his name. And he wants us to lay hold of this afresh right now because the world is in a crisis and it's a perfect time, perfect opportunity for us to harvest the nations and establish his glory. Perfect opportunity. But we have to know who we are. Wealth attracts wealth. But poverty attracts poverty. And you'll notice that in a poverty-stricken area of any community, you know who it attracts? It doesn't attract the wealthy. Although the, the, the area could use the wealth, but it attracts more poverty. It attracts people who are bound by poverty because it's just the nature of it is poverty will attract poverty. And that's why it's very, very important that as believers, we don't buy into that lie. You know, I've heard, you know, people say, uh, you know, uh, blessed are the poor, poor. You're blessed if you're poor. That is not at all what that scripture means. I've worked and labored in poverty-stricken nations. I've lived in inner cities where people are destitute. I have lived amongst those that, that, that live on just, you know, dirt and cardboard shacks. I've lived in the midst of them, and there is no blessing at all none in being poor and if you don't have what the poor need then we're missing our destiny we need to have what they need we need to transform the world we are the solution to the cry of their heart to their destitution we are in Jesus Christ we are their answer so I want to give you five keys this morning of positioning, five positions to be positioned as a benefactor because God wants to anoint each of you this morning as his benefactors. How many of you would like to be a benefactor? Amen. Okay, so the first key is to seek him first. Hello. Seek him for seek God first and his righteousness. It says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And that is in a portion of scripture where he was telling his disciples, don't be anxious for anything. Don't be anxious for anything because, because I'm the one who meets your needs. And he said, the Gentiles, they are the ones that, that, that you know, are are looking for all the stuff. He said, but seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first my, my being. Seek first my righteousness. Seek first me and all these things, they'll just follow you. I remember years ago, the Lord uh, spoke to me and he's, he said, I want you to review this, this, this portion. And he says, uh, uh, these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. And he says, what do, I just want you to think about it for a moment. What, what things do those who do not know me, what do they seek? What is important to them? What means a lot to them? What gives them their status? And I thought, well, I guess if they have a lot of money, 
And he said, yeah, what else? And I said, well, let's see, maybe big houses? He says, yeah, what else? I said, well, maybe fancy cars? He says, yeah, what else? You know, and I went on, and I thought, well, I'm a woman, maybe high-end handbags, nice watches. I'm sure pastor would say, good shoes, right? And, he's, and, and he just kept saying, what else, what else, what else? And I was thinking about what the Gentiles eagerly seek to give them satisfaction and identity. And he said, now, I want you to see what my word says. He says, all those things will be added to you. You don't have to seek them. You never have to seek them because they're just going to be added to you. When are they going to get added to you? They're going to get added to you when you seek first me, my kingdom, my righteousness. You don't have to seek for them. They just get added to you. And I, it, was, it was such a revelation. I thought, Father, you are amazing. You know, you have this glorious kingdom that is full of everything beyond anything we could ever imagine or think as far as our, our uh, needs being met go. I mean, he's an extravagant God, absolutely extravagant. Heaven is an extravagant place. Everything is in order. Everything is, is, uh, is, is, is more than enough. Everything is, is just wow, right? And he said, all you have to do is follow me and keep your eyes on my kingdom and everything that the Gentiles desire, it'll just be added to you. The money, the houses, the cars, the clothes, the handbags, the whatever. And so I received it by faith that day. I said, God, I love this revelation. I love it. And I've never been, you know, even before I was saved, I was never really materialistic or anything. But, but I realized that God wanted to show us off to the world. That he wanted to show off his character, his nature, and his abundance. And he said, if you will just say yes to me, watch what I'm going to do. And so I just pursued God, his kingdom, his righteousness more than I ever had previously. It was just fun to do. When he gives you invitation, it's not work. It's just, it's just glory, right? And I started seeing everything that the Gentiles desired was added. I didn't work for it. I didn't um, try for it. I didn't have a 10-year plan for it. It just followed. I had increase of finances, increase of houses and lands and cars and, and lots of handbags. <laughs> a whole closet full. <laughs> but all those things are so, you know, they're just what we can give. We just empty out the closet constantly. I'm emptying out my closet constantly, giving, you know, closetfuls of clothes away and all kinds of things away because it's, it's just you know, ridiculous how much I have in the way of clothes and items. I mean, you can only wear so many things. But the thing is, the more you give them away, the more you get. It just keeps getting more. Every house we buy, we have to have a bigger closet. We are not to love money or the things of the world. In fact, the love of money the love of it, not money itself, but the love of it is the root of all evil. So we don't love it, we just let it follow us. And we have an expectation. I have an expectation for money to follow me. I know it's what the Lord says. I don't have to have, you know, my focus on it. I don't have to work for it or labor for it. It just follows me. Deuteronomy 8, 10 to 14 and verse 17 to 18, you know, it 
it talks about God as he's preparing his people to go into the promised land. He says, your, your lands are going to increase. Your houses are going to increase. Your gold is going to increase. Everything's going to increase. But the only warning, he says, is don't forget me. Don't forget that this all comes from me because I am giving you the power to make wealth. And don't ever get to a place where you think it's about you, where you think it's about your righteousness and your goodness and what you've done to accomplish it. Don't forget that it comes from me. It's my gift because you're my child and because it's my promise to you. And if you receive my promise, you'll see the manifestation of it and you're going to grow and you're going to increase in everything. And I can feel a prophetic unction on me right now. I'm prophesying this over you and anyone who wants it you just catch that word and say it's mine but it comes from him so he's saying don't forget me then I am the equation <laughs> so don't forget me God plus nothing equals everything that you need and he says I'm giving you the power to make wealth now God's eyes are moving to and fro throughout the earth right now and he is looking for those he can trust as his benefactors. Those he can trust with, those who will be so filled with wisdom from above that they will not only be able to, to receive his increase, but steward it well, and, and, that, and that it will not destroy them. He's looking for people like you. So the second position I'd like to submit to you this morning is to meditate on his promises and obey his word. Jesus said, John 17, 17, he said, thy word is truth. Now, we're in a day and hour where people want to rebuild the scriptures or dismiss them. They're not relevant for today. That portion's not relevant for today. Okay, God might have said it, but he doesn't really mean it. He actually means something else. And if you look in history, you know, it's just, you know, this and that and the other. I had a young man call me one time. and Or actually, I called him because uh, someone had sent me a YouTube video of him preaching that uh, swear words were totally fine to say in this day because Jesus himself swore. So I called him up, and, and I said, I need to understand what you were trying to get across and why. And so we had quite a conversation, and I said, Jesus did not use cuss words, and he did not allow corrupt communication to proceed out of his mouth. He spoke words that offered grace to the hearer and those that were wholesome and righteous words. He said, no, no, I studied history, and it wasn't like that back in the day. He used this word. It was actually a swear word. I said, he did not. I said, don't tell me. I don't care what you've read in history. I don't care what version of Greek you have and the study that you've done. I know my God, and he is not corrupt. He is not corrupt. He's just not like that. And so... We need to be careful in this hour not to twist and turn the word, to give license to the flesh and to endorse a invitation to live according to the world system and the control of the flesh when God has done everything to separate us unto his kingdom and a system that is superior of all other systems that is pure and clean and wholesome and beautiful. Amen? So we... We find in his word, this is a handbook for life. This is like, this is a handbook for you. There's, 
No situation in life that you will face that this book doesn't have wisdom for you in. And you can, you can go to the bank with this word. You can. I remember when my youngest son, both of our boys, we, we told them that um, when they were 16, which was the legal age for them to get a, a license in Canada, we said, when you turn 16, we will sign for you to get your license. But the prerequisites are you have to own your own car first. You have to buy it. You have to have money for the insurance, and you have to, um, you know, maintain that car. You have to steward it, because we had this, we had this thinking that if they were responsible enough to do that, that they would be responsible enough to drive. And you know, we changed our mind a little bit after that because of some situations that arose. But both our sons, by the time they were 16, had raised the money for their cars. They both owned their own cars. They both had the insurance. We had parents around us saying, what? You're going to make your children raise their own money for their car? They'll never be able to do that. They're kids. I said, you just watch my kids. They'll go do it. They're motivated. They want to drive. They want a car. They're motivated. You just wait and see. They had money for their car at 13 years of age. I tell you. They're successful in business today because they've got that knowing that God will, God will fulfill their dreams and desires, and they just go for it. But my youngest son, he bought a 4 by 4 That was his choice. And uh, so he's out one day um, driving, and we get a phone call. And he said, Dad, can you come and get us? We're, we're, we're just, you know, the, the vehicle's in the creek, and we can't get it out. So my husband goes and tows them out, and he comes home that night, and the car's, the car's, not, car's not working. Can't turn it on. It just isn't going to turn over. And so we're sitting having a talk with our son, and I said to him, I said, Honey, what made you think that your car was a boat? <laughs> I said, Your car has limitations. And if you had read the manufacturer's handbook you would have understood from the creator of that vehicle what its limitations were, and it's not amphibious. You would have found out if you had read the manual. And so he learned a hard lesson because he had to pay, he had to save up money to rebuild the things that were wrong in the engine and stuff like that, but it got back up on the road, but it was never the same again. It was never like it was. Sometimes we have to learn that lesson. But when you're looking for any area of life, and especially your abundance levels, it's all in there. And you just, you just devour the word. You eat that word. You let that word become flesh in you. And you follow that word. You know, it's, it's like, wow. And it's living word. Jesus said, the words I speak, they're spirit and they are life. You climb inside that word. I had spiritual encounters where I've actually gone inside the word because the word is not just print on a page. It's pulsating, living life. And there's layers and layers and layers of revelation behind every verse that you read. It's an eternal word. And it is a life-giving word. And this word will bless you. This word will cause you to prosper. Psalm 1, 1 to 3 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor seat, sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight 
is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. I have absolute expectation when I'm in love with the word and the word is living inside of me, I have every expectation that I will not wither, but in everything I do, I will prosper. Everything, I have absolute expectation because the Lord says it. That's how powerful his word is. It is sharp. It is active. I love making decrees of abundance into my life. I just sit back and watch it happen. It just unfolds the decrees of the word of God because that word is truth. He says, thy word is truth. And it will keep you from temptation. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, how did he thwart it? Because the devil tried to twist the word. He tempted Jesus actually with the twisted word. And Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. <laughs> you, you will conquer everything you're facing with the power of the word, and especially when God gives you your personal word. There are times in your life, in fact, you should look for the rhema word, that, 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 that special manna every single day. He will plan promises in you, and when he gives you a promise, you can take those promises to the bank. You can stand on those promises, and you will flourish. In September 2008, my husband and I were coming back from an outreach in, in, in Asia, and we stopped at um, uh, Hawaii on the way home because we, we had a very challenging conference to do in Hawaii. Some, some people just have to make the sacrifice. But anyways, we went to check into our hotel, and uh, it was very early morning by the time that we arrived, and I said, ah, oh, can we get in, into our room early and said, of course, Mrs. King, in fact, we're giving you an upgrade. And I thought, oh, that's nice. And she handed me a key, 2812. And I took the key in my hand, and the Lord says, I'm upgrading you to Deuteronomy 2812. And I knew what it was. You know, it talks about that you will... Um, live under an open heaven, but it says, you will lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. I thought, wow, you shall lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. So we opened up the room, 2812, and we hadn't watched the news for a couple of weeks because we were away on a, on a mission trip. And so we turned the uh, TV on to catch up on the news, and it was the day, it was at Rosh Hashanah, 2008, the day when the market crashed, the housing crashed, the banks crashed, everything crashed, and, and, and they were announcing it on the news. So the news, the world news, the world news is saying things are really bad, the banks have crashed, the housing thing is going to go down, spiral down, and we're sitting there with a promise from God, from our kingdom, that is different from the kingdoms of this world, from our kingdom saying, I'm going to make you a bank. I thought the banks are crashing, but God says he's making us a bank. He says, I'm going to make you a bank. You will lend to many, you shall not borrow. And so, um, you know, we don't have any debt, um, we haven't had you know, debt for, for decades, because we believe in trusting God, and, and, and just, you know, he will supply, and he, and he, and he just has, so um, he said, I want to make you a bank. Now, at that time in our life, 
We did not have a lot of overflow. We were working with a lot of different projects that we were doing for the Lord. And so everything that came into our lives personally, we just sewed back in. It was our delight to see, um, see the, the, um, the provision that God had given us go back out to the building of his kingdom. So we didn't have like hardly anything in our savings. We didn't have overflow, okay? And um, so I said, okay. I accept the fact that you have made us a bank. I accept that. Thank you, Lord. You see, you can take those promises and begin to live with them right away. So we were in the conference and met someone at the conference that we hadn't seen for a while. And they said, hey, can we go out for lunch? I'd love to treat you to lunch. And we said, sure, we'd love to spend time with you. And when we went to the restaurant, the person who invited us for lunch forgot their wallet in the hotel room. And they said, I just feel so embarrassed. Um, you know, I just feel so embarrassed. Um, do you mind if I borrow some money from you to pay for the lunch? And it wasn't very much. It was like $50 or something. And I said, and, and I was going to say, I was about to say, oh, forget borrowing it. We'll just buy the lunch. And the Holy Spirit stopped me and he said, no, remember, you're a bank. You will lend to many and you shall not borrow. So I said, oh, okay, sure. So that was our first lending under that anointing. So I gave them the $50, and of course, you know, they got back to their room and paid it back. And I thought, God, that was, that was interesting. And he said, there's times that you will give, and there's times that you will lend. Because I'm making you a bank. I thought, okay, I receive it. I just lent out my first, you know, to my first lender. Or a borrower, rather. So, um, so anyways, uh, we started growing in that. And it was really funny. We never uh, put out a sign saying we are now a bank. And I'm not doing that now, by the way. <laughs> um, but people would come to us and they would uh, say, oh, my goodness, I'm a little bit short paying my rent this month. Uh, can I borrow $100, $200 or something? And, of course, we would say, absolutely, here you go. And every time that we lend, I said, thank you, Lord, that we're a bank. And then they would pay it back. And it just kept getting more and more. You know, people would say, oh, man, I've got this opportunity, but I need $500. Would you be able to? And they just felt the leading of the Lord to ask us. It was really cool. So we were you know, cutting checks for people's needs, and it would come back. But we noticed that the, the, the season of our life that we were in, it, it, it just kept getting more and more in our own bank accounts. And so everything started swelling as we were loaning out to others, and it would always come back. We didn't charge interest or anything like that. We just said, pay us back. Well, it just kept growing and growing to a point where we were able to loan thousands of dollars out and then tens of thousands of dollars out. And then we got to a point a few years ago where we were able to hold the mortgages on homes for people that wouldn't have even been able to get into a home otherwise. And um, they had no, no way of doing it. So we were able to facilitate that. And then eventually, um, this was just a couple years ago or so, we were able to hold the mortgage on a ministries building for them that was over uh, 1.2 million. Now, I, I, I can't even tell you how that all happened. It just happened. We just this week, you know, we were... Um, you know, we're, we're in relationship with a ministry family who moved into an area and they couldn't get into a home because there's no homes available on the rental market. All the inventory is gone. 
And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, buy them a house, and they can rent that one. So we went to the realtor, found the house, bought it. They have a big family, too, five children, so we need a big house. We bought the house in a day and uh, closed within two weeks and were able to let the ministry family into it. You see, you see what happens when you're in that place where you can be a blessing. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to be able to meet the needs of those that we see. I love meeting needs. If it's a small need or a big need, I love meeting needs. I love it. And of course, we're directed by the Holy Spirit. You know, there's wisdom, and I want to underline that. There is wisdom, but it's like God wants us to be his ambassadors of blessing. He wants us all to carry that benefactor anointing. The third position, of course, is faith. You have to believe with your heart, not just your mind. In Romans 10.10, it says, with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So it's not just a belief in your mind. It's not just agreeing with what the word says in your mind. It's meditating on it until you become that word, until it... It's an internal reality inside of you. That's what faith is. It says, now faith is the substance of things that you joyfully expect. It is the substance of what you hope for. Hope and faith are different. If you're just saying, well, God's word says he'll supply all my needs, and I got one, I hope he meets it, that's not faith. But I believe God said it in his word, I believe it, but you're not internalizing it. It is not internal truth to you yet in that situation. So you need to stay on that until you hear the father say, child, this is yours. And as soon as you get that right in the midst of your belly, that internal reality, it is yours. You don't have to ask again. You don't even have to think about it, really. It is just going to come to pass when it gets to that place. We need to press in with faith. It's called in the New Testament, the good fight of faith to contend with those things that would oppose your faith. You push them away, and there's power in confession and decree, if I might say so, that that comes from the abundance of a heart that's filled with faith. And, of course, we need to, we need to push away anxiety. There's so much anxiety and fear in the world today, and we need to get it out of us so that we can help others get rid of it. I remember when we first went into uh, television ministry, the Lord called me into television ministry. I'd never had an ambition for it, never had a desire for it. No one had even ever prophesied it over me. Um, but the Lord uh, called. I won't go into that whole story right now. But when we went into it, back in that day, um, the the equipment that you needed and everything you needed was so expensive and it was so labor intensive. And I remember thinking, how am I going to do this with everything else I'm doing right now? And, and then I remember, I thought, no, Lord, you, when you commission, you give everything that's needed, including the time, including the grace, everything that you need. And I had no education in it. It was just like jumping into it with faith. Well, then... I realized, and back in those days, this is like a couple decades ago, um, or more than a couple decades ago now, but back in those days, our ministry budget was only about $40,000 a month. It was just like small, but it seemed big at the time. It, you know, it, it, 
you know, we had to believe for that $40,000 every single month to come in. So it seemed big. But when we went on TV, overnight, it jumped to eighty dollars to $100,000 a month. So that was a big jump. And it looked ginormous to me. It looked ginormous at the time. And I remember um, being stressed because we had emptied all of our savings to pay the previous month's bills. And then the next one was coming up. And we didn't have the money in the bank to pay it. And it was just a few days before everything had to be paid. And I was stressing. And I was, I was just wrestling one night. I was just couldn't sleep. And my husband, he was just as relaxed as could be, sleeping soundly next to me. And I didn't think that was righteous. I, I thought, <laughs> Ron, wake up. Wake up. He says, what, what do you want? I says, but don't you understand? In a few days, we owe all this money. And what we could do is go to the bank and put our house on it to pay. But then if we do that, then the next month, we still got to come up with money. And I don't know how we're going to do it. And he said, oh, Patricia. It's time to sleep. He said, just go to bed. I said, go to bed? That's fine for you to say. But what about, I've got to write those checks. And he said, oh, Patricia, God will take care of it. God will take care of it? How? He said, I don't know, but God will take care of it. Go to sleep. And I didn't listen. I just, he went back to sleep, and I just stressed. So then... Finally, around 5 o'clock in the morning, I get up, turn on the hot tub outside, and I'm sitting out there still dark, and I am bawling and squalling before God, saying, oh, God, oh, God, you told me to go into TV, and, and you know, it is so expensive. At least I thought it was at the time. If only I had that budget again. <laughs> oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Oh, it's so big. It's so, what am I going to do? And even if, even if the needs get met this month, I got next month. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, I said, oh. and I'm bawling and squalling. And he says, yeah. It's a lot for you, isn't it? I thought, yes, you know it is. Oh, God. And he says, yeah, you know, my, my daughter, Joyce Meyer, she asked me every single month for millions. My son, Benny Hinn, he asked me for millions every single month. My son, Kenneth Copeland, millions every single month. Millions and millions are asking me for millions every single month. And he says, I wasn't expecting you to ask me for 80 grand. He was, he was having fun with me. But it shocked me to the core. I thought, what am I thinking? Millions of dollars is nothing to the Lord. Billions of dollars is nothing to the Lord. Trillions of dollars is nothing to the Lord. He is bigger than money. He is bigger than it all. And why am I stressing out over a measly 80 grand? Even if I needed 80 billion, it is possible for my God to download that out of heaven. He can do whatever we need. Because he will meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He said, Patricia, you need a new perspective. He says, you see, the birds, let me give you this example. The birds, the birds in the whole wide world. Do you know that I am responsible for feeding all the birds? Every single day, the birds expect more food. 
And he said, I'm not, I'm not just stressed out in heaven going back and forth. He said, do you understand what the monetary value of that food would be to feed the birds of the air every single day? He said, I'm not stressed out over that. I'm not in heaven saying, oh no, the birds want more food. The birds want more food. Not only that, the fish and the elk and the deer. And, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? He said, I've got it. And I didn't call you to television ministry to see you fail. I've got it. And everything broke in me that day. And the provision came. Every single year after year, decade after decade, he's never failed. You know, we sing a song, he's never failed me yet. Well, he never will. We can remove the yet out. <laughs> he just will never fail. He will never fail. Don't fear lack or abundance. Have faith. In faith, there's a lack of doubt. There's a lack of fear. In pure faith, it is an internal reality where you're at rest. You're at rest with knowing who God is and what he has planned. And he's going to call some of you to believe for big things in the days ahead. And no matter how big it is, you can give God your yes because he will fulfill what you need. The fourth key this morning is to take ownership Personal ownership of the benefactor anointing. You see, if you just listen to this message this morning and say, wow, that was so cool. God's got a benefactor anointing for his people. So cool. He said, I could have it. So cool. It might be cool. It's actually better than cool. But if you don't take ownership of it, it's not going to operate in your life. You have to take ownership of the call. In 1978, I had a prophetic word brought over me by a very seasoned prophet, and it was extremely anointed. I was a brand new Christian. I was only a couple of years old in the Lord when I received the prophecy. And in that five-page prophetic word, part of it said, have I not called you a prophet? A prophet to the nations. And I was a brand new Christian then. I was just learning on the gifts of the Spirit. I'd started to prophesy, um, but not, you know, as a prophet. I didn't carry the authority of a prophet at the time, but that word came over me. I typed out the word, and I reviewed it, you know, often, put it back in the filing cabinet and that. But I was invited um, back in 19, I think it was 1996 or 97, to go over to Holland uh, because um, a man of God there had seen me minister in a particular venue where a sovereign move of the Spirit came upon me and through prophetic unction, uh, the whole place filled with glory. It was just an amazing thing. And he asked me, he said, can you come back to Europe? I want to take you around Europe with our worship team and go to city to city to city and prophesy God's destiny over the cities. And I said, well, I'll definitely pray about it and ask my husband about it, but... I, I need you to know that what you saw there tonight isn't the, you know, that's not my normal. In fact, it's never happened before. That was the first time. So he said, well, I just really feel God saying that you're supposed to come. So my husband and I prayed, and we felt the Lord say, uh, you know, cleared us to say yes. So I show up, and the first night we're in this city, I don't get anything prophetic, I just couldn't get anything. It was like Al Blanco, you know? It was like nothing. And I got up into the pulpit, and I stumbled all over the place. I felt so bad. I thought, oh, I've really disappointed the one who's 
invited me to come and serve, and I didn't serve well, and I, I, you know, I didn't even understand my own message, let alone other people trying to understand it. So I was beating myself up. Have you ever done that? You beat yourself up? Well, I did that. Uh, that is, by the way, it doesn't work, and don't even bother. It's just a waste of time. It doesn't work, and it's self-damaging. So I was beating myself up, saying, oh, you're so stupid, you're this, you're that, you should never be here, blah, 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 okay? Coming into agreement with the enemy's lies. So the next night, we go to another city. The same thing happened. Now I failed two nights in a row, and I'm thinking, okay, number three is coming up. Three strikes and you're out. <laughs> Listening to the lies of the enemy. And so we arrived in the third place, and the uh, senior pastor who was in that church happened to be my interpreter at the event when that sovereign move happened. And he, he was a seasoned prophet as well. And I said, can I talk to you in your office? And he said, sure, what's, what's up? And I said, I'm a failure. I'm supposed to be serving in this thing, and I'm just making a mess, and I'm supposed to prophesy, and I'm not getting any prophetic words, and I'm not getting any words. I'm, I'm just like, you know, fumbling and mumbling, and I, I said, it's horrible, and I want to go home. And he said, okay, let's pray. So he, the room goes quiet, and he prays, and he said, hmm, hmm, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, hmm, yes, Lord. I thought, I wonder what he's getting and he says, the Lord's showing me that about 20 years ago, you received a prophetic word that you were a prophet. And I said, oh my gosh, that's exactly right. In fact, before I came on this trip, I took a copy of that prophecy and it's in my handbag right here. Look at it. And he read it and he said, well, what's your problem then? <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean what's my problem? He says, well, 20 years ago, the Lord told you you were a prophet. I said, yeah. And he said, well, why aren't you being a prophet? And I said, well, I'm not like a prophet prophet. He said, well, the Lord told you you were 20 years ago. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not, you know, I'm waiting for that word. He said, well, you've waited way too long. And he said, your problem is, he said, you haven't taken ownership of what God spoke over you. And he said... I am not going to let you go out and minister in my church tonight until you say, I am a prophet. And I said, I can't do that. And he says, why not? I said, because I, I feel presumptuous. I haven't had, like, the Lord come to me and put fire on my lips or anything. I haven't had three dreams and a vision on this. He said, no, you had a prophecy 20 years ago that you have not taken ownership of. You're looking at that word from afar, but you've got to take ownership. And he says, say it. I am a prophet. I said, I can't. He said, I'll help you. Say I. I said, I. Say am. I said, am. And he just led me through until I could say, I am a prophet. But I had to spit out the prophet part. <laughs> prophet. He said, say it again. Say it again. And he kept making me say it until... I felt confidence in saying it. He said, now you can go out there to that meeting. And sure enough, the heavens opened, got downloads because I'd taken ownership. I wasn't just looking on from afar thinking, oh, that was a great word. Maybe one day it'll come to pass. Maybe that's for me. And today, God is calling you. He's looking for benefactors. And if you want to be one, 
You can say, here I am, Lord, I am a benefactor, which means you not only have enough to be blessed in your own life, you've got the overflow to bless the whole wide world, to connect with the blessing heart of God that we sang about today, that you can be his blessing ambassador as you receive this anointing from him and identify and take ownership of this anointing today. And then finally... The last key before we pray is sow blessings. Sow them. Woohoo! If you're blessed, you can look for opportunities to sow and sow with intentionality. Sow with intentionality. We're good farmers. The Bible speaks to us parables about farmers. A farmer sows the seed into good soil right? It is a picture of what sowing and reaping looks like. We're taught in the scripture, right back to Genesis 8, there is a perpetual, a perpetual covenant with mankind saying, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and a corresponding harvest. Amen? So you want to be careful what you sow in life, right? You want to sow the nature of God. You want to sow the ways of God. Because if you do, you're going to reap more and more and more. 30, 60, 100, even to a thousandfold increase, according to Deuteronomy 111. That's a lot of increase. So whatever you want in your life, you can intentionally sow into that area. It's, it's called kingdom business. It's interesting that Jesus... Um, you know, said when his mother was looking for him in the temple, he said, I was about my father's business. He didn't say I was about my father's ministry. And so when we sow with intentionality, we're engaging in daddy's business. We're, we're filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and getting increase ourselves so that we can increase others. That's the way farmers work. They will calculate how much land they have in their feed, field and what yield that they desire, and they will sow their seed accordingly. And if they want a cornfield, believe me, they're not going to sow pea seeds. They sow corn seeds with intentionality. And in kingdom life, you know, seek first the kingdom, and those things get added to you. This is one of the, the main principles. Jesus sowed his whole life. He sowed everything. Because he knew what he was going to reap. He knew the harvest. He knew he was going to get you. When he hung on that cross, he saw you. And he said, I'm going to... I'm going to fall into the ground and die so that I can have you. I've got a harvest I'm going for. And so God wants us to intentionally in this hour sow, sow, sow with intentionality. A couple of years back, um, I, I just had such a, a, a growing hunger for the harvest. Um, you know, we've, we've always loved evangelism, but I thought, Oh, Lord, this is so much of a harvest season, and I want to intentionally sow into the harvest. I want to intentionally sow. And so I got a, in, in touch with a couple of evangelists that I trust, and I said, you know, I know that you're doing a crusade, and you're going to be reaching people in a really dark area. I want to hear all the details about it, because I want to sow. I want to fund your crusade. And so um, we prayed into it. Um, they gave me all the details, and I said, okay, I'm going to sow a seed. So we cut the checks, and we sowed into those ministries um, within that time frame. And within the first year, 
over 400,000 documented salvations came out of that seed. In the beginning of the second year, the first six months of the second year, over 100,000 documented salvations all followed up on in the Lord. That was just the beginning. So, bless God first, then bless others. You know, just so. Watch the windows of heaven open up. In uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 to 11, it talks about all grace is abounding to you so that you have all sufficiency in everything so that you can have an abundance for every good deed. That's how we're going to spread the gospel. That's how we're going to make a mark for God. In our generation, it says that we'll be re uh, enriched in everything for all liberality, for all of our giving, which produces thanksgiving unto God when we do it. Woo. And don't despise a small seed. Don't despise a small seed. In Matthew 13, 31 and 32, Jesus talks about the parable of the kingdom being like a mustard seed, just a little seed. He said, this is, is smaller than other seeds, but when it's full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Let me finish with this one more testimony. Genesis 26, 12 and 13. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the Lord became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. I want to show you something here. So Isaac, first of all, sowed. He sowed seed. He didn't sow into the land necessarily because it was the greatest land to sow into. He sowed into it because he understood covenant. He understood the blessing of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And so by faith, he sowed with expectation for a harvest. But it says he reaped, everyone say reaped, in the same year, in the same year. This isn't like 15 years down the road. This is in the same year. And the Lord blessed him. So he reaps a hundredfold in the same year. And everyone say, and the Lord blessed him. Now, I think reaping a hundredfold on your seed is already a blessing. But obviously, the Lord thinks that there's greater levels of blessing because he says, and the Lord blessed him. And what my husband and I have learned is that when you sow in one area and you, and you receive your, your return on that in that one area, but then because you sowed, other areas of your life get blessed that you never even intentionally sowed into. It actually opens up a realm of blessing for you every time you sow with intentionality. So it says, and the Lord blessed him. And in addition to that, it says the man became rich. Now, rich pertains to your personal abundance. And God wants you all to be rich. He wants you to have overflow. Not one does he want to have lack. He wants you to have overflow. So it says he became rich. That means he had an overflow in his personal abundance and continued to grow richer. So if you're rich now, expect to grow richer. I'm expecting to grow richer because it gives glory to him. Personal abundance levels increase until he became very wealthy. In some versions, it says extremely wealthy. Now, wealth is different from being rich. Because wealth pertains to your influence in the world. 
I am very, very rich. Personally, I'm, 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 I'm extremely rich. And I'm not talking about money, although we are blessed. We are blessed financially. But I am rich, rich, rich because of the revelation of the Lord, because of his goodness in my life, because of his promises, because of the fruit of his kingdom manifesting through my life. I am so blessed and I am rich. But that in itself isn't the goal of this process. It is to become extremely wealthy, which means I fill the earth with the goodness that God has made me rich with. I influence the world, and I can say I'm extremely wealthy as well. Again, I'm not ta even talking about money because we tend to compare our wealth with the wealth that the world says is wealthy. Well, how wealthy is the world's wealth? Are you wealthy when you have a million dollars? Are you wealthy when you have 10 million, 100 million, a billion? I'll tell you, it's like a carrot in front of a donkey. It's never enough when you go after that. Never enough. They can have so much, and they're still withholding and trying to get more and conniving and breaking laws and everything. It's just, that's not where it's at. But when you're extremely wealthy, you are able to influence the world that you live in with what God has given you. And that is what remains. And I want to create fruit that remains. When I leave this world, I want to leave a legacy behind where the nations have said, Patricia King was here, and she deposited this, and she built this orphanage, and you know, hundreds of orphan orphans grew up here and became great people of faith. And she rescued this person from sex trafficking, and they gave birth to other children who were um, you know, enormous uh, uh, influencers in their time. That's what we're going for. We're going for the wealth. And I don't want to be just a little bit of fruit brought to the Lord. I want extreme wealth to be brought to him because all wealth belongs to him. We need to intentionally receive more wealth so that he gets more glory, so that he has more. Amen. He has more release of our hearts. Same with honor. Don't be afraid to receive honor from men. In fact, you should be walking in such a way that you will receive honor from men. Because if you don't have any honor, you have nothing to give to the Lord. Because we cast off our crowns and all honor belongs to him. But if I don't have any honor to give to him, then, you know, other people will give it. But I won't have anything to offer him. And so we want to go for the fullness of all that God has for us. Now, in 2013, we were um, getting ready for some tent meetings, and um, it was um, so much fun getting ready for those meetings. We had 10 days of tent meetings with a tent that held 1,200 people, and people were saved and healed and delivered and miracles every day. It was amazing. And uh, I had out-of-town guests in my home. And I woke up one morning to cook them breakfast, and as I was cooking breakfast, an angel showed up with three scrolls regarding abundance for the future, that we could smile at our future. I won't unfold that right now. And then um, um, I was just so excited about this angelic visitation, and the Lord had um, really um, saturated. I, I told our guests, and they, would, they, they were all excited as well. And uh, then we drove off to the tent meetings, and there was just, you know how you're just living in the presence. It was like that. And when, and engaged in worship, and during worship, the Lord quickened this scripture to me. 
And it just came alive inside my heart. It was like pulsating word. And at that time, our ministry was working on a project that we were short $100,000 for the fulfillment of it. And I felt this unction from the Lord based on this scripture. And this was October, the end of October. October 29th, 2013 is when I had this, this visitation. So that's only two months before the end of the year. And he said, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And so I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to sow $1,000 toward that need right now. I just, I just felt to be intentional about it, got my check out and wrote it. And a hundredfold can mean way more than a hundred times. You know that, right? Because it's folded over. But I thought, I, either way, if you say it a hundred times or a hundred times folded over, it's still really good, right? So... I thought, I'm going to believe for this $1,000 as I sow it, for God to breathe on it. And before the end of this year, that $100,000 need for, for the finishing of this project is going to come in fully. I'm believing for that. So I wrote it out, ran up to the front. There was a bucket there, and I just put it in the bucket. It was not during an offering time or anything like that. I put it in the bucket. And I was just flipped out happy. You know, I was like, wow, it was the reality of it. And I thought, this project is done, Lord. Yay. Well, at that time, my husband and I were also facing a, um, um, an expectation that we had because we'd made an investment that we were supposed to, to get the return on it. The, the check was supposed to come through in August, but now it's October. It still hasn't come through yet. So that was for $200,000. So now I've got a $100,000 need and a $200,000 need. They're both on the table. I wasn't even thinking of our own need at the time. I was just thinking of this, this ministry need. And within three weeks, not the end of the year, less than three weeks, a $100,000 need was completely fulfilled. And the project was completely sealed. It was done um, within less than three weeks. Not the end of the year, less than three weeks. At the very same time, at the very same time, the money that my husband and I were waiting for on the investment also came through at the same time. It was all loosed because of the seed that was sown in the Lord. And that's what brings your increase. That's what brings your increase. And your increase is what gives you the ability to give to others. And if you think of ways that you can give to others before yourself, because otherwise you're always going to want to build yourself up more and more and more, and you'll never give out to others because you'll think, well, I need to go to my next level here. And you'll always be reinvesting in self and never looking out. But a benefactor is always looking out for others. And everything they do is for the sake of others. Otherwise, you'll just get your barn's fulfilled, you'll build more houses, more lands, and it'll be all about you. But at the end of the day, you might be rich, but you're not going to be wealthy. Because it's all to influence others. It's all to influence for the advancement of the kingdom. The benefactor anointing. God blessed Abraham. And you know what? When God blesses you, that blessing never ends. Abraham was 175 years old when he went on into glory, and he didn't lack in anything. He was rich in all things, the scripture says. He had abundance in all things. 
So it doesn't dwindle. And by the way, if you're in your 60s and you're thinking, oh, what am I going to do? You know, I've, I've, I've got to live on a reduced income. No, you don't. It doesn't say that in scripture. It says you'll flourish in your old age. I'm not looking forward to dwindling. I'm looking forward to increase. Amen? Increase. Because that's the blessing of the Lord. And the Lord wants to bless you not only in your finance and in your provision. He wants to bless you in relationship. He wants to bless you with wisdom. He wants to bless you with his power to advance his kingdom with anointing. In every area of your life, this is not about money. Money is mammon. It's in the world system. That's what the Gentiles eagerly seek. We seek the kingdom and his righteousness and all that stuff gets added to us so that we can just be a greater blessing for others. When you know that you're secure in God, in all things, when you know that he supplies more than enough for you, you never have to fear anything. Come on, give the Lord a big praise. In the Amplified Version, very wealthy in that um, scripture that we read about Isaac, it means very wealthy and extremely distinguished in the Amplified Version. Oh, thank you, Lord, that we can stand in the gates of cities and of nations and bring solution to the people and comfort people's hearts and, and, and just represent you well. Amen? Amen. How many of you want to be a benefactor? If you want to be a benefactor, stand to your feet right now because I'm going to release the anointing on you. I have so much faith for this. We've seen so many benefactors raised up. We've seen so much increase come to people's lives. It's just amazing. Reach your hands up into the heaven like a funnel. <laughs> Get ready to be downloaded into. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ right now, I just release the benefactor anointing into each life here, empowering them, Lord God, to not only be blessed, but to be a blessing. And I thank you, Lord, it's who they are. They are blessed in you. They are blessed in you. They are blessed coming in. They're blessed going out. They're blessed in everything that they put their hands to. They are blessed with an open heaven because of you, Lord Jesus. They are blessed in your presence, and they are blessed with great provision. And now, Lord, let the blessing flow not only in, but let it be a river. Let it not be a stagnant swamp. Let it be a river that gushes out of them now, in Jesus' name, for the transformation of nations. Give the Lord a big praise. Give the Lord a big praise. Come on, this is him that gives this anointing. Now, I want you to say with absolute conviction in your heart, because you're taking ownership, saying, I am, I am. a benefactor. Yes. Say it again. I am a benefactor. Again, I am a benefactor. Give the Lord another praise. <laughs> 